to the Foundations of Sports podcast, where we present positive sports stories and the lessons of character, hard work, and humility to develop championship teams on and off the field. I'm your host, Chris Horgan, and thank you for joining us. We hope you are enjoying 2020, and we are excited for our guest today, Major League Baseball umpire Dan Isonia. Dan is going on his 18th year in Major League Baseball, and today we discuss how he got his start, also his journey through umpire school and minor league baseball. How did it feel for Dan to get called up to his first major league game in Texas? What does it mean to have the third team on the baseball field? And what are some of the things Dan does to prepare physically and mentally for the game of baseball and umpiring? We also discussed his mentors throughout his journey and the relationship of the umpire and catcher in baseball as it is very unique in sports. We also talk about championship work that Dan is doing off the field. Dan has worked World Series, all rounds of the playoffs, an all-star game, the World Baseball Classic, and the Japanese All-Star Series. Today, we get what it took to get Dan to all those places. Enjoy the episode. This episode is sponsored by us, the Foundations of Sports, and our new podcast leadoff program. According to Edison Research, in 2019, an estimated 144 million people listened to a podcast in the U.S., and that number keeps growing. Podcasting is a great way to connect, network, build relationships, and get the word out about your mission, product, team, or organization. For example, it is a tool for athletes looking to build a brand, a coach looking to become better by interviewing other coaches, a company looking to increase sales, or any team or organization looking to improve. Podcasting is just a conversation, and what I've learned is that by having your own podcast, your communication skills improve, and that allows you to connect with guests that you might not normally be able to reach, and opens doors for ideas, growth, and learning for yourself and your team or organization. You don't need a degree specific to podcasting to start your own show. With the right guidance, you can be up and running recording episodes. Allow us to teach you a simple, nuts-and-bolts approach to starting your podcast, starting with developing an idea for your show, to setting up your equipment, how to reach out and book guests, writing a game plan for your interview, editing and show notes, downloading your show, your logo, and your music, promoting your podcast, and monetization ideas. We can develop your blueprint that will get you off and running. And it could seem overwhelming at first, but we can help you get right down to what you need to know to have a successful show. Contact me directly at my email, chris at foundationsofsports.com, for further information on how we can help you start your own podcast. Dan, welcome to the Foundations of Sports, and uh, thanks for coming on the show. I'm happy to be here, Chris. Tell us about your journey in the game of baseball and how that led you to become a major league umpire. Before I got into professional baseball, I was an amateur umpire, and I have my father to thank for that because my dad was a teacher growing up, and in the off-season, well, his off-season, in the summertime, he used to officiate football and baseball, worked a little basketball, and when I went to college, he said, Hey, this is a, this is a great job for a college kid. You can, you can umpire baseball games in the summer and work during the day, umpire your games at night. He says, it's a great gig. So I said, I'll give it a shot. So I was going to the university of Connecticut and doing just that. I would, uh, you know, come home in the summertime and work games. And then a friend of mine actually played baseball for UConn. And he said, Hey, you know, the, the baseball coach there, Andy Paylock, he offers a one credit class. It's an elective one night a week, Wednesday night at seven o'clock. And it was uh, on baseball rules. So I took that and we, you know, it was me and another guy named Jim Reynolds, who's also a big league umpire, but we were roommates and we said, yeah, let's give this a shot. He let us come out and umpire his fall baseball games, the scrimmages. 
And so we got started that way. And then graduated in 91 from UConn. And we went and I said, oh, I'll give it a shot. I'll go to umpire school. There weren't many jobs that I ever wanted to do, but I was I wanted to be a fireman. And I said, well, that's a, that's a great gig. I can work 24 on, 48 off, and my 48 off, I'll go to umpire school. I'll learn how to be an umpire. And then, then when I have my off time, I can work college games, be a big-time college umpire. So I did that. We went to my, – my school was in Phoenix. Went to Phoenix. And, you know, good grace of God, I got put in the minor leagues in the New York Penn League and then just worked my way up. Twelve years later, I finally – I got called and I actually – became a full-time big league umpire. It's pretty amazing how you started from that one college credit class at UConn and worked your way up. And, you know, you worked in a lot of the leagues. Tell our audience uh, what it was like to kind of work your way up through the minor leagues and then ultimately to reach the majors. We always joke and we say the minor leagues are called the minor leagues are called minor for a reason because they are not the big leagues. It's, uh, It's a tough road. It really is. It's a tough road. I did two years in the New York Penn League. And that was just tough because it was the travel was you figure, OK, you're going a little bit of Ontario, Canada, Pennsylvania, New York and Maryland. Those are the only cities, we, you know, only states we went to. But we, everything was a home and home. So you'd work one game in Jamestown, New York, and then you'd go to Erie, Pennsylvania. And then you'd go, you know, you just you, you drove every day. So we did that. Uh, hotels are not very good in the minor leagues. I remember all the bad ones. I have a it's funny. You talk to the guys that that made it and we all saved like the bad business cards from hotels and the bad coasters from bars that we've been to. We've all, <laughs> we've all got those things, but uh, yeah, you just be, I worked my way up. I went to the South Atlantic league after that for a year, went to the Carolina league for a year and a half, year and a half in the Texas league. And then once you get to triple a, so, actually I'll, I'll backtrack a little bit. The way you move up is you're evaluated by minor league supervisors. So these are all ex minor league umpires couple of big league guys mixed in there and they would just evaluate you on your strike zone on your handling of situations. Handling of your situations was probably the biggest thing back then because it was a little bit of the wild west then. Um, they would challenge you a lot more in the minor leagues, yell at you a lot more from the dugout and they wanted to see how you can handle, you know, that kind of adversity. So um, they would just evaluate you every year. And then you hope you got promoted at the end of the year or went to one of the other assignments, a, a winter ball assignment where you'd go uh, to instructional ball or go to the Arizona fall league. But if you made it all the way to triple a, then you were done with the minor league supervision and the big leagues would look at you. So now you had actual American. When I came up it was, I got the triple a in 98. So it was still American and national league. So those guys would sneak in and see you. And you'd hope if everything went well, that they would take you to the Arizona fall league and then look at you some more or better than that, they would just take you right to spring training and you'd work big league spring training. So in 99, I worked 98 season uh, in AAA in the International League. And then in, in 99, uh, I got called for spring training by the National League. So I went to Phoenix for spring training. And then you were you were kind of owned by that league. And then in, let's see, August 22nd and 99, surprisingly to me, the American League called me and I worked my first games in the American League and then went up in the National League and stayed up ever since until uh, – a guy named Steve Ripley, who was a longtime National League umpire, retired in 2004, and I got his job. When you got that phone call to say you're working your first major league game, how was that feeling, and what were you thinking at that time? <laughs> it's crazy, you know. There's a uh, 
there's an old Miller Lite commercial. And uh, I just remember it being out when I was growing up and uh, this guy's, the guy's sitting at home and he goes, he calls his wife and he goes, honey, I just got the call. And then you show him, then they show him he's up in the big leagues and he's, uh, you know, he has a play and the manager yells at him and then the, he's out at the bar and the manager sees him and sends him a Miller Lite. <laughs> kind of like that, but not as romantic and exciting as that. It's such a, it's such a rush because you get that first call like, hey, uh, and I remember the guy's name was Phil Jansen. He was the American League uh, administrator, supervisor, and he called me and says, hey, you're going to the big leagues. We need you in Texas. I'm like, oh, okay. And he goes, you're working with Joe Brinkman, Tim McClelland, and Eric Cooper. Okay, you got it. He goes, night game, night game tomorrow. Be there. Okay. And you hang up and you go, oh, my God, I just got, I got, that's the call. <laughs> so you immediately <laughs> call home and then you get a flight and you get there. And then it hits you, you go, oh, my God, I actually have to work this thing. It's not just, oh, yeah, this is great. I'm actually here. and uh, I'm in the big leagues. No, you actually have to work. It was Red Sox, Texas. They screamed at me on a check swing in, like, the third inning. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> this is actually – this is a little faster up here. So it was a – it's a great – it's such an emotional thing because, you know, you're like, oh, man, I'm finally – like, I'm, I'm on the varsity now. and then. The only call that get that gets better than that is when you get the call that you actually have a job. Because like, the way we work it, there's 76 umpires on staff. When I when I came up, there were only 68. Then we expanded because of replay. So there's no more, no less than 76 right now. So somebody dies or retires, that's the only way a spot opens up. So when you get that call, that's unbelievable. That's just relief. Now you have insurance. You, you're part of the salary structure and you just feel like, man, I didn't let my family down because you roll the dice when you go to umpire school because it's like a 2% chance that you're ever, ever, ever going to make it to the big leagues. And you just feel that relief like, man, gosh, I, I, I did it. We all did it because it's not just, I mean, I can ramble on about this forever, but it's not just me. I, I got, you know, I got in the game in 92, that same year my wife and I got married. So you come up with you know, your children and your, your wife and your family and everybody's just living and dying with you. So it's a huge support system. So when you finally get that call, like you made it, uh, you share it with everybody, huge party, just a lot of tears, just a great, great, it's <laughs> just a great, great moment. Makes all those long bus rides and, uh, driving all over the minor leagues all worth it. I'm sure at that moment. Oh my gosh. Everybody did the same thing. You'd go to your league meeting they pick you up from the league meeting and then you would, as soon as the league meeting broke, they handed you a paper schedule and there were no directions on it or anything. It would say like quality in Elmira, New York. And you just have to figure <laughs> out how to get there. And then they'd show you the game time. So we'd all do the same thing. We'd go and we'd get the big Rand McNally Atlas and we'd, we'd just try to figure it out and, and just hope we got there on time. There was no ways or Google maps to uh direct it, nothing you know? I, I still think there <laughs> no cell no, phones <laughs> no yeah i still think the Rand mcnally and hankstrom's are still the way to go even these days with technology i i really you know it's nothing like reading a map it's not gonna fail you no it's not gonna fail you we no. would do that and look for billboards like oh wait 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 slow down i think that's a quality in billboard <laughs> <laughs> Yep. Tell our audience a little about, say, for a 7 o'clock game. Obviously, you guys aren't getting there at 6.30, quarter to 7, putting your gear on and going. But tell them a, a little bit about the preparation that goes into uh, the day of a game for you and your crew. Okay. So 
we're we're a little different than every other sport because of the amount of games that we have. Well, I'll umpire, you know, probably around 104, between 140 and 150 games a season. So where the other crew, where other sports like hockey and football and basketball, they go in and they're going to work one game and they're going to move on. We go and we stay for a series. So we're probably a little, we have less of a, uh, we have less of a pregame than the other sports because we're around each other so much. So we, when we go to the ballpark, we're usually there hour and 45, two hours ahead of time. Again, cause we're doing, we're the other, the other um, sports, they're probably there three hours ahead of time. We're not like that. Cause I mean, that would just, I mean, we're going to be on the field for three and a half, four hours anyway. And now we're at the ballpark three and a half. That, that turned it into an eight hour day. And we're not at the, that's not the peak performance that we want when we actually walk out on the field. So we'll get there a couple hours before the game. Uh, every day looks the same for every umpire. Wake up in the morning, have breakfast, do your paperwork. We have to check our emails. There's always, uh, the league's always sending us videos about uh, what happened the night before, uh, if there's any crazy plays, um, all the different replays that happened, uh, ruling explanations. There's a website we log into um, that checks our scores. Uh, if we work the plate the night before, we get our score from, the, from, from that game. Uh, go have lunch, work out. Everybody exercises and you go take a nap and you go to work. When we go to work, it's a lot like being in the firehouse from all the firemen that I've had in my locker room before a game. They say, this is just, this is the same as a firehouse. We would just, you guys just sit around and you yell at each other all the time and give each other a hard time. <laughs> we, have, we do. We have a good time. Then about 35 minutes before the game, cell phones are off on the cruise that I've been on the last couple of years. Whoever's working the plate gets to pick the music, put some music on and you just start, mentally preparing yourself to go out there and work. Um, you stretch, uh, if there's something that's, that happened the night before you'll go over it. Um, maybe a guy hit a couple home runs and they threw high and in on them. The next time you go out, you know, Hey, just be aware of this. The crew chief's always given some instruction. Hey, you know, just, Hey, remember we had that last night. Remember he went in the heart at second base last night. So just keep an eye on it, stuff like that. And then we go out there and work. We say a prayer right before the game go out there and work. You have that camaraderie and that teamwork and getting ready to work. An analogy that I really enjoy is that the umpire crew is known as the third team on the field. Tell us a little bit more about the meaning of that statement. We look at ourselves like we're the third team on the field. And just because we don't take infield and we don't take batting practice, we work at our craft as hard as the players do. And it's I would say it's around the clock, but it's whenever something jumps in your head, like, Hey, could that have happened? We were always thinking of the rules. Could that, Hey, did you see almost what happened there? Like that ball almost hit the base and then hit him. You know, there's always something, there's always something that happens on the field that we're, that we all look at each other and say, okay, we're the only ones that notice that <laughs> we're the only ones that notice that. So let's, let's talk about it. Um, being, being part of the third team isn't just that. It's not just working at your craft. It's also having your, your guys back. And if somebody's yelling at the plate umpire when he's walking away, you're always keeping your eye on the dugout because you don't want to have that guy throw him a shot or throw something out onto the field or whatever. And that's just not right. You want to you wanna argue with a guy, you argue with him, you, you, you get his attention, and you, you show him your displeasure, but you don't. 
you can't yell at a guy when he's walking away. So we always have each other's back like that. And then we're always looking to help each other out. Um, guy calls a guy out and the ball actually short hopped. We're going to try to get together right away before we have to go to replay to help that guy out. Like, Hey, that fielder jumped up right, right before you saw that, but the ball was on the ground before he tagged him. Great. So we're always working together. We always are aware of where each other is on the field. There's different rotations that we do when one guy goes out to cover a ball in the outfield. We're always looking at each other, just like the players are looking at each other. There was one game, it was a Cubs-Mets game last August. My dad and I were with one of our very good friends who has been an umpire for many years. And we were sitting in the right field stands at City Field, and, and he's like, he told us, he's like, watch the umpires. And I was amazed. He goes, I know you want to watch the balls, but just watch the umpires and see the rotation. And like you said, you guys have each other's backs, You know, not only in terms of handling situations where there might be an upset team or an upset manager, but in terms of how you move. When one umpire goes to the outfield, I was amazed. You guys were in sync. And I was really, really impressed with the whole team aspect of the umpire crew. Well, thank you. And now, now that you know that, you'll never watch a game the same way again. <laughs> because <You're right>. everybody, <laughs> every, everybody that comes out to the game, like, hey, you know, come out to the game, we'll leave you tickets. They all go, they start to watch us and they go, wow, you know, you actually move around a little bit. We're like, yeah, you know, we, we actually do. Like on TV, it, you, you, it's just focused on one camera shot. And so you think the first base umpire is just working first base, but he could have a call at the plate, could have a call in the outfield, he could have a call at second base. So, uh, yeah, we, uh, we move around. We move. The, game, the game's gotten a lot more physical for us. Uh, it used to be, if I was working first base, I was just working first base. But now, um, with the speed of the game and how quick these players have become, and how good they are at their job, you you work. I feel like I'm working the plate every night with the guy that who's working the plate, and I feel like I'm working first with the guy that's working first and second with the guy that's working second because you're always trying to help each other out on the field. But yeah, you're right. We do, uh, we do move around a little bit. It's great to see. I, I recommend anyone watching the game, especially live. Cause you can see it live. You could just, there's so much motion, not only with the outfielders or infielders, but with you guys, the umpire crew, it's definitely fun to see. We have a guy like Quinn Walcott, who's an umpire. Well, I think Quinn is 34 years old. And then we have Joe West who's 67 years old. So our staff, that's a 30 something year swing with our staff. So I'm always impressed when I'll join a different crew because maybe somebody got hurt or a scheduling thing. And I'm working with one of the older veteran umpires and I'll see that guy hustle home and I'll go, hey, way to go, buddy. <laughs> you know, makes me proud, makes me be proud that he, that I'm on his crew. You know, so it's, it is, a, it, it's different than that. Cause the other sports, I mean, hockey, nobody works past 53 in hockey. You've had some 60 year old guys and uh, you know, they, they work into their sixties, early sixties in uh in basketball they are physical specimens they can do that because that's a, that's another sport banging on the boards all day i'm proud of our guys the way the way we can keep in shape and still do the job over you know 35 years and you're proud of what you do and you take pride in it and it definitely shows earlier in the interview especially when you're talking about your time in the minor leagues you talked about the statement was handling situations. And I think this is vital for any coach or any athlete or really anyone in life is tell us how important it was to keep your composure, have mental focus, and really uh, be able to handle those situations the right way. Well, that's, that's the only reason that the guys that made it to the big leagues made it to the big leagues. Because you, you, when the, the best rule that I heard was when everybody else is, con- is going crazy, you got to be the calmest guy there. And then there were other times 
in the minor leagues, when everybody else was calm, you wanted to go crazy just to let everybody know, okay, we're not going to stand for that anymore. Whether it was a throwing incident or whether somebody was yelling at another, uh, two players were yelling at each other. You wanted to do whatever you can, but you want to do whatever you could to just ratchet everybody down, whether that was yelling at them. So they, they just backed off and went, okay, we can't mess with this guy tonight. Or it was when everybody else is going crazy, you want them to focus in on you and just, just calm down. The best term that I've heard, it was my first postseason, and John Hirschbeck said, hey, the only reason you're here is because you can concentrate better than the other guy. And I never forgot that because the mental focus of the game is everything. And so how do you do that? How do you do when our games are going for, you know, when I first came up, if your game went two hours and 55 minutes, you went, oh, man, we were out there all night. Now, if I have a 255, I'm like, whoa, we can make a movie. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we can make the 11 o'clock movie. This is great. <laughs> um, so how do, how do we do that? And I took, a, I took a quote from a old Virginia Tech football coach named Frank Beamer. And he said, and this is just an example. You can learn something across sports. It doesn't really matter. But that's what the importance of sports to me is. Man, you can really you, you learn so much. So football, I don't know anything about football officiating or anything, but this head football coach said, "The bigger the game, the smaller you make it." And I never forgot that. Bigger game, the bigger the game, the smaller you make it. So I can't think of, like some guys work. Okay, I, got, I, I work three different games, three separate games. I'll work one through one, two, three, whew, and I'll take a breath. Four, five, six, whew, take a breath. Seven, eight, nine, whew, game's over. I can't work like that. I can't even work. Okay. I'll work this half inning. I have to go take it pitch by pitch by pitch by pitch. And I think the the guys that are very successful at anything in life, they do what they, they can handle the task that's in front of them at that moment. So how do I keep myself focused? That's the only way I can do it. Take it one pitch at a time, one pitch at a time, one pitch at a time. Next thing you know, you're open your eyes, you're in the bottom of the fifth inning. Next thing you know, the game's over. So if you can, whatever sport, if you can just take it one pitch, one play at a time, <laughs> that's the way to go. It's great advice in anything that you do. It's it's one play, it's one pitch. At the firehouse, it's one run at a time. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah, every run is different. It, it's the same. Every day is different for me. Every run is going to be different for you. You never know what's going to happen. It's so true. And you mentioned a couple of names there, uh, John Hirschbeck and some other guys who really helped you. But tell us who were some of the mentors in umpiring that have helped you along the way in your journey. Well, when you're in the low minor leagues, you're just with one other guy. And so I've had some really good partners that you, you're just you're both trying to you're, you're like brothers in arms and you, you're both trying to help each other up. And hey, let's just get out of this league. You know, let's just get to the Carolina League. Man, it's going to be great when we get to the Carolina League. Oh, I can't wait to get to Double A because then we work three umpires instead of two. All that stuff. So I could give you ten different names, and you you guys wouldn't hear of any of them. But um, Jimmy Reynolds, who's a, who's a major league umpire, number seventy-seven. Jimmy and I came up. We worked amateur ball together. We worked college games together. We worked. We were partners together in the New York Penn League, and then wound up both making it to the big league. So Jimmy, Jimmy and I, just cause he's a, he's a kid from Connecticut. I'm a kid from Connecticut. You know, Jimmy and I've always been close. Um, John Hirschbeck uh, lived around the corner from my wife growing up. He was a big league umpire in the American league. His brother, Mark was a big league umpire in the national league. 
obviously just because they're local guys, big inspiration. Terry Tata, Eddie Rapuano, both of two other guys from Connecticut. Greg Kosk, who's another umpire from Connecticut. I looked up to those guys, but in the minor leagues, they were just, they were in that castle on the hill. You know, you just looked at them, for, you looked at them for inspiration more than anything. But then when you actually got to work with those guys, they would throw you little pieces of advice like, you know, hey, you, you, you put the concentration and the bigger the game, the smaller you make it, stuff like that, that you, you know, and then specific things like, hey, next time you have that type of play at second base, why don't you try this? And it sticks with you forever. Um, and then when I got to the big leagues, I worked with Dale Scott, um, American League umpire, and then Major League umpire um, when we when we turned when we crossed over. I worked with Dale for over ten years. Huge inspiration for me. Guy worked three World Series in seven years. I mean, nobody does that. You, you learn every day from guys. Jerry Davis, I worked a lot with him. Joe Brinkman, I worked with him. There's some. They're just uh, when you're there. You just keep your ears open and your mouth closed because you're going to learn a lot of stuff from a lot of a lot of guys that have been there doing it a long, long time. Learning from those who came before us and, and really it helps you become a professional. Exactly. In, in anything you do, and it's uh, you listed some great names there. Really, mm-hmm. uh, like you said, people who are helping you along the way. And one part as an umpire is the, the umpire catcher relationship. It's so unique to baseball and sports, really. Um, can you describe a little bit more about the dynamic of both and how you guys work together behind the plate? Sure. Yeah, it's it's funny because the question we'll get, somebody will come up and say, hey, you got Strasburg against Verlander tomorrow. And you go, yeah, but who's catching? I, I don't, okay. <laughs> I don't... I'm not going to have my hand on his back on Verlander's back the whole night. I'm going to, I want to know who who's catching. Cause that's the, that's the relationship that I care about. Um, they're the, for us, they're the general, they're the, the captain of the team. Uh, even if they're not, we're, we have such a, a relationship with them. We're literally, I have my hand on their back for 300 pitches aside every, every night. Um, we just, how we talk to each other is is good and it's there, there's always the feeling i guess the best way to put it is it's a relationship we're going to disagree but we're also on the same team at the same time so he wants to get he wants to give me the best look so i can you know make the correct call and i want to be able to see so we have that dynamic where hey i'll tap him a little bit on the you know if I'm getting I squeezed, I say, if he's up, if he's standing up really high and he's inside and the batter's hanging over the plate and I can't see, he's got to know, like, and I'll tell him, hey, if I give you a little tap, just help me out. He'll duck down. So we have like that physical connection, but it's also, he catches the ball, he throws it back and says, I had that close. Did you have that down or out? <laughs> you know, so just the way that he phrases the question, I'll say, you know what? I thought the height was good. Think you got to bring in a little bit more. Okay, fair enough. Then you have the other guys, and I can't say anything about anybody who's still in the game. But like, I'll give you an example, like an AJ Przinsky, who works for Fox now. AJ was an excellent catcher, an excellent catcher. But AJ wouldn't normally say, "Hey, uh, I had that a little down." Yeah, I think that's a good call. Like he would never say that. AJ would grab the ball and throw it back. And go, let's go, let's go. Like so, <laughs> it was. Now I'm not just umpiring the game. Now I have a whole game within the game. I have to deal with this guy who is obviously not happy with anything I'm doing. 
And that's why we always ask, hey, who's catching? I don't care about who's pitching because I want to know, hey, is this guy a guy that probably has a tendency to battle that I'm going to battle with or am I just going to get along and we're both going to go out there and do our jobs professionally? So it's uh, it really means it means everything to an umpire, having a catcher, one where he can see, two he can talk to. So those are, that, that it's a it's it's everything when you're working the plate. It's working together. It really is. And I really like too is when say you get a foul ball off say your shoulder or the catcher gets dinged a little bit. How, how you work together to make sure? Hey, listen, you're all right. Everyone's all right here. You know, we're all obviously. You know, you have a job to do. They have a job to do, and the other team has a job to do. But we're all professionals, and and that uh, courtesy is uh, what sportsmanship is all about. Yeah, and that's why I said before, it's such a unique relationship because we both want the same thing, but we're on different sides. I mean, there's three teams out there, and we're on different teams, but yet we want the same thing. But if if something happens to my catcher, and I say my catcher for a reason, I'm going to go out there and give him time. Absolutely. And if something happens to me, he's going to do the same thing for me. So it's a very unique relationship, but uh, that's what baseball's based on, that just relationships like that. That's where... You know, we talk about the science of the game and the analytics that are part of the game right now. When it comes down to it, it's human beings playing a sport, and they're not robots. There's a relationship there amongst the players and amongst the umpires and coaching staff. You're totally thousand percent right. You see such an emphasis sometimes on TV about analytics, but analytics can't measure, like you said, relationships, how people work together. It's uh, it's very special, and that's what sports really brings out in people. It's something you can't measure uh, with a statistician. Very true. Off the field, do a tremendous uh, amount, and you have such a positive impact. And specifically, you work with Team Joe Kelly, the Illinois Fire Safety Alliance, Burn Camp, and the Cobb County PAL. Tell us about your experiences with those organizations. Oh, I, uh, I, I don't, I don't do half, not even a quarter. What, what, like true year-round volunteers do. I'll donate my time. I donate, uh, like the Cobb County. Uh, Cobb County gets a lot of sports equipment, um, so I'll, I'll, I'll do that. Uh, Illinois Fire. Uh, that's the bucks for the Burns Camp. Uh, we'll do auctions and I'll donate tickets and give the, give people to bid on them and experience where they come out to the field, take a picture. Uh, but it's mostly just having relationships with people where I can bring them out onto the field. Um, we, the umpires have a charity called, uh, umps care where we do everything from scholarships to these build a bear, uh, workshops where we go to hospital, do hospital visits and stuff. But the big thing is, um, we provide tickets and experiences for people that can't afford tickets. So we'll, we work with the Dave Thomas Foundation, Big Brothers, Big Sisters, and we just bring kids to the field and show them, hey, this is the big leagues, and you can do anything you want in life, but always make whatever it is your big league, whatever that league that you want to be in, whether you're a doctor or a teacher or a fireman, um, make it your big leagues and and just go for it. Just do everything you can during the day to get to your big leagues. I think that's a great analogy. Make it your big leagues. That's, uh, it says it all right there. As we finish up, Dan, a few questions here. How could sports play a positive role in the future? I grew up playing sports. I, mean, I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and sports, to me, taught me how to get along with people. And 
I, I don't want to sound like one of those crotchety old guys that say, yeah, at my time, we didn't have cell phones and we didn't have this, we didn't have computers and all that. But sports, nobody, you can't catch a football with a cell phone in your hand. You can't, you can't swim um, with a computer. You, you're forced, sports forces you to interact with other people for a common goal, to achieve a common goal. And that's the best, best, best thing that sports can do for you. Get your kids involved in sports and they're always going to know how to work with a team. They're always going to know what their responsibilities are. Like, Hey, if I'm playing right field today, I got to be a great right fielder because I can't let the other eight players down. So sports to me, if you, if you can get involved in sports and stay involved in sports, you're going to be a successful person and a productive member of society. A fun question here. Any sports event that you would like to attend in any location, who is playing and who are you tailgating with before the game? <laughs> well, you know what? I'm actually crossing something off my bucket list next weekend. I'm going to Army-Navy in Philly for the first wow. time. I got a buddy of mine, that uh, Mike Lawrence, who's uh, uh, he's in the Navy. He's a commander in the Navy, and he's going to retire in a couple of years. And he said, he said, Hey, you got to come out before I retire. So I actually am going to cross that off. That was the one sporting event that I would love to go to. And I'm going to do it this year. Army Navy. That's awesome. One of the best experiences in sports and you're going to thoroughly enjoy. Uh, I can't wait. Yeah, I can't wait. And I, I mean, just, it's tough for me to get excited about sports because when I go to a sporting event, I feel like I'm going to work every day. So <laughs> and I've never been to Super Bowl and any, any of that. So, but I know it'd be different when you go to the parties and stuff beforehand, but this is one where I said, man, I would love to go to this and opportunity presented itself. So I'll be there this year. What would you like to leave our audience with today? Every sport is a human game. There's a human element to every, every single sport. And I've never seen anybody turn on the TV hoping there would be, it'd be a video game that they were watching. You know, that receiver that dropped a pass is a human being. That pitcher that gave up the home run is a human being. The guy that hit the home run is a human being. Let's not in this electronic age, look at sports as an electronic reality. These are human beings playing the game. Let's enjoy it for what it is and just enjoy the sporting aspect of the game. The guys getting along on the field, the, the guys working together for that common goal. I think you're a true sports fan if, you, <laughs> if you're actually rooting for the game a little more than the players. So that's what, that's what, I'd, I guess that's what I'd like to leave you with. Well that? said. Dan, keep up the great work on and off the field. Your hard work and dedication shows in, in everything you do. All the best to you and your family. Oh, no, thank you. I really enjoyed Dan's take on handling situations and handling adversity how he spoke about being the calmest person on the field and to speak up when necessary. He had a great point about whatever you want to do and accomplish in life, make it your big leagues and do everything you can during the day to get there. Very similar to what Beasley Reese said in our previous episode about every day. The humble work Dan and his team does off the field is what sports is all about, coming together to help others. If you get a chance, please visit umpscare.com. There, you'll find out about all the impactful ways that they carry out their slogan, helping people is an easy call. 
We thank Dan for coming on the show. I'd also like to thank Phil Spiro for his hard work and efforts in making this episode possible, and Jimmy Walsh for his insight on the third team on the field and how the umpires work together as a cohesive unit. If you like what you heard today, please leave us a rating and review on whichever platform you are listening to your podcast. It greatly helps us with our content at Foundations of Sports. And thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have a family member, friend, or teammate that you think might enjoy the episode, please forward them the link. For more information on our mission of positive sports stories and building championship teams on and off the field, as well as our new podcast leadoff program, please visit foundationsofsports.com, on Instagram at foundationsofsports, and at Chris Horgan at LinkedIn. Looking forward to the next episode, and as always, best to you and your families. Thank you.